Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. It says, The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated this morning. Father, help me to preach this word and uh, preach your word with, with truth and clarity this morning. Amen. Don't you just love the birth of a baby? Isn't that like the best thing ever? There's just something special, uh, sacred, spectacular about when uh, a new baby is born, holding that newborn baby. The day my baby was born, she's our firstborn. She's going to be a year old in just a few weeks. That day, I, that night, I was just on cloud nine, man. It was the proudest moment of my life. I remember just a few minutes after she was born, she was still kind of squishy and her face was scrunched. And you know, newborns, they kind of look a little meh. But I was convinced that this is the cutest baby who has ever been born and ever will be born. And I will fight anyone who had anything else. I was so proud of this beautiful little girl. And you know, there, there's just nothing. It's, it's, it's just almost it's kind of weird to use this word, but it's almost magical seeing this newborn baby that has just, just been born, and, and it's just awesome. And just this week, in my Facebook news feed, I've seen four or five friends uh, this week that have had uh, a newborn baby just in the past few days, a couple I used to work with in my previous job, a couple from my hometown that I grew up with, uh, and then, of course, actually our church, uh, one of our families that attends Wednesday nights and on Sunday mornings uh, just had a baby uh, Friday, Friday, was it Friday? Carol, Katie, Friday they had the baby, Cherie's baby, Joanna, she was born, and she's a cute little baby. I saw pictures. It was awesome. And, and, and you know, just on Facebook, you get to see and, and participate in these amazing times where you get to see a, that newborn baby. And, and nowadays, you don't have to wait to go visit. You can go see. And, and Facebook, you know, I have a love-hate relationship with Facebook. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Like, I, I, I. Maybe more hate sometimes, you know. Uh, I hate it because sometimes social media can bring out the worst in people. But then at the same time, I love it because I get to share in those moments with people where they just had that newborn baby, people I don't get to see every day, people I grew up with, that kind of thing that I don't live around. And I love that that thing. Things in life that Facebook get, lets us share, and, and we get to be uh, participants in those proud moments. But I, I hate it because... Facebook never really tells the whole story, does it? We see the beautiful new baby, but we don't necessarily see the painful process that it took to get that baby here. Thank the Lord. We don't have to see that, right? We see people's engagement pictures, but we don't see the lover's quarrel they had just before the photographer showed up, you know? We see the happy family, but we don't see the temper tantrum that the two-year-old just threw right after the picture was taken. We see the awesome vacations people go on, and I've seen some awesome ones this year, but what we don't see is the credit card bill and the debt that racks up. 
We see those newborn babies, and we see how cute and cuddly they are, but we don't hear about that tough pregnancy, the nausea, the vomiting, the high blood pressure, the sleepless nights, the labor pains, the agony, the frustrations of, of having a new baby that you're not even sure. They don't come with manuals. They don't tell you what to do. You know, it's just you have to figure it out, and there's these stressful times. We see the supermodel selfies but we don't see that they took that picture 200 times until they got that angle just right. And then they ran it through one of those apps that smooths out the wrinkles, you know, and, and met, you know what I'm talking about. Y'all do it. I see your pictures. We all know you used a filter. We all know you ran it through an app. We know you don't look like that in real life, okay? We know. It doesn't always tell the true story. What I'm getting at is many times we only see the happy ending, but we don't see the truth of how someone got there. We don't see the whole picture. We see that baby, but we don't see the exhausting process that brought that baby into existence. We see people share when their dreams come true, but they rarely share the torment of prayers unanswered, hopes unfulfilled, dreams deferred. And that can lead us to this false idea that everyone on our friends list is living a better life than us. That they, are, they have their lives together, and we're doing everything we can to just hold things together with bailing wire and chewing gum. That's all we've got to keep it together. But the truth is that we only see what people want us to see. We don't see the underside of things. We don't see the blood, sweat, and tears that it took to get there. And our text this morning about the birth of Isaac, the child of promise, being born to Sarah and Abraham. And I'm starting at the end in mind. I'm starting with the birth of Isaac at the beginning. Before we really dive into this passage, though, you have to reach back into Abraham's life and see how they got to this moment where they saw their newborn baby. Because it's easy for us to say, living on this side of the Bible, living on this side of Genesis 21, to say, you just got to have faith. God kept his promise to Abraham, just have faith like Abraham. That's really easy to say, but it's not so easy to say that when you're in Genesis 15. When you are 75 years old and your wife is past the age of childbirth and they don't have the book to read to know how the story really ends. And so just like Facebook, I have a little bit of a love-hate relationship with this part of the story. I love the lessons that we can learn from Abraham's steps of faith, but I hate that it's so hard to really feel and really sense what Abraham was feeling and sensing when he was going on this journey. We know the end of the story. He didn't when he was living it. And I want to try my best today to communicate that what it's really like to take God at his word, to trust him and believe him, even when maybe you barely know him. Because for Abraham to answer God's call, to step out in faith, we've been watching this, to completely turn his life, turn upside down at the age of 75, it had to be difficult because Abraham had no context, no background, no knowledge, no literature, no support system. He didn't have a Bible to run to and find an inspiring verse when things got hard. There was no other person there that was hearing from God to encourage him along the way. He didn't even hardly know this new God who had just freshly called him out of a life of idolatry. He didn't have a, people, a church to go to and pray for him. All he had was a voice and a promise. And even though we live in a world that's been forever influenced by the words on these pages, even though most Americans 
no matter whether they go to church or not, have some basic understanding of what the Bible is about, even though there are more Bibles printed than any other book, and there are more churches on every street corner of this nation, and that 75% of the population of the United States identifies themselves as Christians, even though all of that's true, many of us aren't much further along than Abraham when he was first called by God. Many of us, this concept of actually listening to the voice of God and then obeying it, committing ourselves to do whatever he asks us to do, committing ourselves to submission to God's will, believing his promises to provide for us and to bless us, for many of us, that's a hard pill to swallow. And to take it a bit further, Abraham was 75 years old when God called him, but we, he didn't see his promise of a son fulfilled for 25 more years. Talk about endurance. Talk about believing in the midst of adversity. Every day that passed for 25 years, the dream became more and more impossible and more and more out of reach. Most people today, we want God to answer our prayer in 25 minutes, 25 seconds. In our world of FaceTime and two-day Amazon Prime shipping and the Chick-fil-A drive through we want things fast. We want things immediate. We want things to happen as soon as we ask. Our modern American minds cannot even conceive of waiting for something for 25 years. I tried to wrap, wrap my mind around that this week. I, I can't even get my mind around 25 years into the future. Just the other day, Katie and I, we were talking, and we were trying to figure out how uh, what year it would be when Ainsley graduated high school, and, and I, it was hard to even calculate it, not only because I'm bad at math, but just because it was, it was difficult to think into the 2020s and to the 2030s and, and to think that far ahead in life. I just couldn't even under, I, what's the world going to even look like then? Things are changing so fast and so quickly. I couldn't even conceive of waiting for something even 18 years. And so for us to hold out and hope for God to answer a prayer or fulfill a promise, a long time to wait for us is just a few weeks. Genesis 12, though, Abraham is 75 years old, and God gives him a promise. He says, this is when he first calls Abraham. He says in Genesis 12, 1, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. In the past few weeks, we've looked at the chapters after this initial encounter with God, and we saw uh, Abraham uh, take, take action and follow God's voice, and we saw that even when he messed up and he lied about his wife's identity, God was still faithful. And then we saw when he separated from his nephew Lot, who wasn't willing to go on the journey with him, God was still faithful. And we saw that Abraham fought a hard battle to save innocent lives, and God was faithful and gave him the victory. And then God sent a man to come out and bless Abraham and and uh, and in the name of God most high Melchizedek and and what happens next after this battle and after this victory is a series of events and encounters that lead us up to the birth of Isaac see after that battle was over that we looked at a couple of weeks ago after the blessing from the priest God appeared to Abraham once again immediately after the victory immediately after he had his encounter with the two kings in the valley in Genesis 15, God appeared to Abraham one more time. And actually, I preached on the Genesis 15 at our Good Friday service back in the Easter season. If you didn't get a chance to be here for that, you really missed a great service. And, and this message, I go in more depth on, on Genesis 15 there, and I would encourage you to go on our website or our podcast and listen to our 
Good Friday service about Genesis 15. But in that passage in Genesis 15, God seals the promise again that he made with Abraham through a sacrifice. Abraham comes before God and he says to God, I've been following you now for several years. I know I haven't been perfect, but I've tried to be faithful. I've even fought battles for you. But every day, me and Sarah are getting older, God. Are you seeing where we are in our life? Every day, our joints seem to creak and crack a little bit more. New wrinkles show up every day. More gray hairs seem to appear. We're getting older by the minute, and we still don't have that child that you promised us. So God has Abraham in that moment in Genesis 15. He says, go and make a sacrifice. And then God appears in the midst of that sacrifice in the form of supernatural fire. And God promises Abraham several things. He says, Abraham, I will always be your protector. I will be your shield and your reward. He says, I will prom- I'm promising you, you will have a son from your own body. He says, I will give you offspring as numerous as the stars in the sky. He says, the land of Canaan that you're now just traveling through will one day be your possession. And it was a powerful moment in the life of Abraham. God made a lasting covenant and a promise. And covenant is not just a a spiritual word for promise. It is a contractual obligation. It is a legal term. It is an oath made between two parties that we're willing to fight for one another and even to die for one another. It's swearing that we are willing to give our lives for each other. And covenants, they're like life and death. This is serious business. When God makes a covenant with Abraham, he's saying, no matter what, I will be faithful to the promises I've given you. And in this moment, God lays all the cards out on the table before Abraham. And he says, Abraham, this is how much I mean the words I'm going to give to you. I am obligating myself to fulfill my promises to you. There is absolutely nothing you can do, Abraham, to change my mind. Genesis 15. God seals his covenant, this promise, this contract by appearing in supernatural fire amongst the sacrifice. Now, most of us, we haven't seen supernatural fire when God spoke to us. But some of us in this room, you've had those moments where you felt like God gave you a promise, where God spoke something to you. Maybe it was when you first gave your life to the Lord and you felt like the presence of God was there and God promised you something for your life. Maybe it was sometime an intense prayer and you felt like God spoke to your heart and he gave you some peace about something that you were struggling with. Maybe it was a prophetic word that someone spoke over you and, uh, and gave you an encouragement and a promise for your future. Or maybe you were reading your Bible one day and a verse popped off the page and God just said, this is for you. Hold on to this verse. This promise is for you. Or maybe you were listening to the pastor preach one day and it felt like he was preaching right to you in your situation. It was almost like he overheard your conversation in the living room the night before and the preacher just spoke to you in your direct situation and you knew that God was giving you a word. All of us have been given some kind of promise from God. And maybe there's some promises that are unique to you, but if you're a Jesus follower, if you're a Christian, then every promise in this book is yours. Even if you've never had one of those moments, every promise you read in this book is yours. God has made his word to you. He has obligated himself to be faithful to his word to you. Amen? Just a few promises in scripture. He says, when you're weak and heavy laden, you can come to me and I'll give you rest. Philippians says, 
that God promises to supply every one of our needs. Corinthians promises that God is faithful, and when we are tempted to sin, he will always give us a way out. He will always give us a way to be free from sin. John tells us that if we confess our sins, he promises to be faithful, to always forgive us and to cleanse us. Amen? Those are promises for you and I in Scripture. If you love Jesus today, every promise in this book is for you. And I just love those moments when God speaks, when I read something in his word, it seems directly to apply to my life. When I need him, when I have a need and I go to him and he promises to provide. I love those moments. They build my faith. They, they give me the shot in the arm I need. But if you're like me and if you're like Abraham, it's real easy to forget the promises. Because just as soon in Genesis 15, as God finishes appearing to Abraham, giving him a promise, sealing it with this supernatural encounter he had with them, immediately in the next verse, reality hits. Genesis 16, verse 1. Even though there had been this amazing encounter with God out in the wilderness, reality hits. And the first words of the next chapter are, but Sarah had no children. What's, this struck me. Immediately after God gave the promise, it was like reality came crashing down when Abraham woke up the next morning. That was a great promise, and that was a really cool experience. That was a great church service. But I step outside, and Sarah still doesn't have any children. I step outside, and that promise still isn't fulfilled. I wake up the next morning, and things haven't really changed. So we end up in this tension between what God has promised and what we see in our lives, from what we heard and what we saw. We're in this tension between the fiery presence of God in private and the cold reality of life in public. Have you ever been there? This tension between you feel like God has given you a promise, but you feel like it's unfulfilled. Have you ever been in that place where you feel yourself being pulled in both directions between what God has spoken and what you see in your life? between your experience with God and your experience with the world around you. And sometimes that tension can feel like it's pulling at you so hard. It's about to rip you apart. It's about to rip your family apart. And you get to this place where you will do just about anything to relieve that tension, to relieve that pulling. And so Abraham and, I, and, and, and Sarah do the exact same thing. They're feeling this tension between what God has promised and the reality they see. And so then, after they say, but Sarah had no children, they begin to devise a plan. Maybe this is how God's going to do this. And so what does Sarah say? She says, I'm too old. Abraham, you go to my servant, uh, and, and you, you lie with her, and you, you, you have a child with her, and we'll adopt it and lead it as our own. And they devised this plan, and I imagine they even wrapped it in some spiritual language and said, maybe this is how God is going to do it, or maybe God's leading us to do this. And she sends her husband to her maidservant to conceive a child with her. And once again, we talked about this a few weeks ago, who pays the price for this misstep of faith? It's the innocent young girl. This innocent slave girl pays the price for this misstep of faith. Not only is she violated by her master, her employer, but she then uh, is thrown out of the house by Sarah because Sarah becomes jealous of this girl who became pregnant. 
It didn't matter that it was Sarah's idea to start with. All of a sudden, jealousy took over. She threw her out. She wanted nothing to do with her. Now she's just angry and jealous of this young girl who could have children with her husband. And the Bible says at the age of 86, Abraham fathers his first child, but it's not the child of promise. It's not the child that God had prophesied and God had promised. And when the baby's finally born, he is never favored by Abraham and Sarah. He's always kind of on the outskirts of the family for the rest of his life. But his name, Ishmael, means God hears. It's this picture of God still showing blessing and favor and mercy to this girl and her illegitimate child. God is faithful. And God is merciful. And that ends chapter 16. And at the beginning of chapter 17, it's now 13 years later in Abraham's life. We don't have any record of Abraham or God speaking to Abraham again for 13 years after this misstep of faith. No record of what happened in Abraham's life for 13 years. All we know is that Abraham and Sarah took God's will into their own hands and for 13 years, God doesn't speak. The Bible says in Genesis 17, when God finally does speak to Abraham after 13 years, it says Abraham falls on his face in worship to God. And it might be expected that after you haven't heard from God for 13 years, after you made a mistake, he might want to beat you up a little bit. You really messed up, Abraham. You violated an innocent girl. You fathered an illegitimate child. You robbed a child of his identity. You mistreated your wife, your slave, your son. How could you make such a mistake? I thought you were my guy. I thought you were a man of faith. I thought you were righteous. But that's not at all what God does. After this massive mistake, God never brings up that old sin, that old failure. Instead, in Genesis 17, even after the failure, God renews his covenant again with Abraham. He reminds Abraham that, Abraham, even when you're faithless, I'm still faithful. Here's just a few things that God said to Abraham after 13 years. I confirm my covenant between you and me. Your offspring will greatly increase. You'll be the father of many nations. This land will be an everlasting possession for you. Walk before me and be blameless. You must keep my covenant with you. I will bless Sarah and I will surely give you a son through her. Not only will I bless your future son Isaac, but I'll even bless Ishmael, the result of your mistake. And as I was reading this this week and I saw this this image of, of God promising and Abraham failing and God still promising again, I was sitting in my office reading and praying and, and asking the Lord what to preach this morning. And I was overwhelmed by the grace that God showed this imperfect man. I was overwhelmed by the promises and blessing that God still poured out on Abraham, even when Abraham made mistakes. And I just felt like the Lord sent me by here this morning to tell you something. God has no favorites. He will treat you the same way he treated Abraham. And that means that your mistakes do not have to disqualify you from his promises. No matter what you've done and where you've been, no matter who you've done it with, God's heart toward you is still to love you, to bless you, and to prosper you. And now while he's doing that, he might have to tell you, get up, try again, start walking, keep my commandments, don't do that, be blameless, do the right thing, try it again, get back up, don't quit walking with me, Uh, don't get off the path, stay on the journey, but he will never say to you, you've gone too far. He will never say to you, I can't help you anymore. 
He will gently chastise you and remind you, I'm God, you're not. Listen to me. Quit doing it your way. I don't have to tell you. Uh, I don't even have to tell you you were wrong because you know you were wrong. But quit doing it your own way and do it my way. He's going to tell you those things. He's going to correct you. He's going to discipline you. But that gentle discipline is only because he loves you and he has good plans for you. And he doesn't want you to miss out on what he has. The New Testament put it this way, Hebrews 12, 6 says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. Every time he corrects you, every time he nudges you in the right direction, every time there's that conviction in your heart, every time you get one of those Holy Spirit like lying out kind of situations where he just says, you've got to change this. He's just pushing you a little closer to your blessing. He's just pushing you a little closer to the promise he's given you. Don't despise God's discipline. His discipline is what will get you to your destination. And now we're at the time in the scripture where he's 99 years old and God speaks to Abraham again and he says, this time next year your wife will have a son. And even then there's a bit of doubt and disbelief. The Bible says Abraham and Sarah both laughed. 99? They thought they were too old, yes, but they also thought they had messed up one too many times. They surely thought, even with a God who can do anything, now that we've made so many mistakes, surely this can't happen. But when we get to our text this morning in Genesis 21 that we read at the beginning, they were laughing, but God said, the joke's on you. And Sarah and Abraham, look at their newborn baby boy, this child, this miraculous child, this child of promise. And they look around at the way God has prospered them in their household in their material possessions, in their future, and all these different things. And now all Sarah can do is laugh, but it's a different kind of laugh. It's a God has restored joy to my life. It has been 25 hard years of taking step after step of faith. And it wasn't always easy and it wasn't always fun. But one day God will fulfill his promise. And it might take a long time and there might be blood, sweat, and tears along the way. But one day you will exchange those tears for tears of joy and tears of laughter when you see God fulfill his promise. Because God always fulfills his promises. Always. Paul said, and we sang it earlier in 2 Corinthians, for all the promises of God in Jesus are yes and amen to the glory of God through us. That means that when God makes a promise, it's as good as done. That means that even when you don't believe the promise, it doesn't change the fact that it's a promise. That means even when you resist the promise, it doesn't change the fact that he's faithful to keep the promise. And all of this is because your steps of faith aren't defined by your failures or your doubts. Look at what the writer of Hebrews says about Abraham and Sarah in the New Testament. Hebrews 11, verse 11 says, By faith, Sarah herself received the power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered he who had promised to be faithful. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, there were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as innumerable as the grains of sand on the seashore. I want you to notice something. It does not say Sarah gave birth to a son because she was always faithful. But Sarah did have the faith to know that even when I'm faithless, God is still faithful. Even when I make mistakes, 
The one who made the promise is always faithful. Our word for this morning is, he who has promised is faithful. He who has promised is faithful. Just, you know, when when you're struggling in life, when you're not sure if things are going to come through for you and your family, just take this scripture in Hebrews 11. He who has promised is faithful. There's only one that we can say that about. He who has promised is faithful to heal bodies. He's faithful to save sinners. He's faithful to restore marriages. He's faithful when I'm not. He who has promised is faithful. Amen.